For decades, women have been told that our place is in the kitchen. For women like Becca Ray Tucker, creator of The Sweet Feminist, that's where the revolution begins. Cooking and baking has always been a part of movements, like women baked together as points of community, and they were the people that were feeding activists and people in these movements. Like that has always been a crucial component, which is really inspiring to me. We want to think of the contribution of cooking and baking as something where people were just in their house, but actually it was a site of community and a powerful one. I spoke with a self-taught baker and activist about becoming visible, her new book, Baking by Feel, and how she turned saying it with sugar into a movement. I'm Becca Ray Tucker, and this is a lesson on saying it with sugar. What is your earliest memory of being creative? I love this question because I often draw on my younger self as a source of creative inspiration. And I was thinking the first thing that came into my mind is I used to make these like large scale murals out on our driveway using sidewalk chalk um, to make a design. And then I would like run some water over it and blend the colors into this sort of abstract and temporary work of art. And that's the earliest thing that I can think of. In terms of baking creativity, I do remember making a cake in middle school that looked like a watermelon. It, it did not taste like a watermelon. I'm pretty sure it was just vanilla with vanilla icing. But I do remember that sort of being my first taste of using cake as an artistic medium. Were you doing that by yourself? Who was helping you? I did that by myself. My earliest memories of baking come from my grandma. She lives in Wichita, Kansas. She is always baked my whole life. Earliest memory of baking is making chocolate chip cookies with her and getting to lick the beaters with the cookie dough. I have really fond memories of that. Baking eventually turned into this blog called yes. Flowers in Your Hair. Yes. Tell me, how did that start and why? In college, I lived in this house called Food House. And the goal of the house was that every night, two people would make dinner and the rest of us would eat it. And so I was around some pretty incredible cooks and bakers. And I liked baking before that, but then I saw people actually really baking from scratch and creating these delicious things. And then I moved to DC after college and I had a roommate who also really loved cooking and baking a little bit. I was more of the baker, she was more of the cook. But we started the food (laughs) blog together. Her name is Anna and it's just something we did to have fun and pastime. I've also had a career path where I've worked at a chocolate company. I've worked in bakeries. And so it's been a sort of winding path to get here, but that is generally how things work. To the chocolate, you worked in chocolate for a little bit. I did, yes. I worked for a company called Chocotin and they are in DC. The maker, Ishmael, he is an artist. He's trained as a chef, but lived in Guatemala for a while and got into the local chocolate scene and eventually took that back to DC. And what I learned from him the most is how to taste. We would sit there and taste the chocolate together and be like, okay, what's the first thing on your tongue? Then what's the second? And so I just learned a lot about the creativity and artistry of food from him. It was a really cool job. And that obviously would influence your own approach to baking too, sure. if you're thinking about the taste. 
I thought that for some reason, I was like, oh, she's in politics, and this is her <laughs> thing that she likes to do for fun on the side. Yeah, no, I guess the opposite. It's the opposite. <laughs> the reverse. It's the reverse. So you're baking, and when did you start The Sweet Feminist, and why? I started The Sweet Feminist in 2018, so it's been about four years now. It was a very politically charged time, and I was looking for a creative outlet and a way to connect with other people. So I was like, okay, like I already make cakes. Maybe I'll try writing stuff on them and posting it. And then that grew much bigger than I ever anticipated and mm -hmm. turned into sort of something else. And I'm really lucky and grateful about it. For those of you who don't know some of the things that she's written on the cakes, which I love, abortion is healthcare. Abortion isn't a bad word. Ladies to the front. Dear men, step the fuck up. Let's unlearn white feminism together. All I want for Christmas is the destruction of the patriarchy. I don't know how I found you, but when I found you, I was like, oh, I love this girl. I'm so, She's so glad. awesome. <laughs> and, and it was a politically charged time because I found you probably in 2019 when we were starting the podcast. Okay. And so you were about a year in. You were just around 40,000 followers or just under 40,000. And I remember thinking, wow. She's so brave. Now, at that time, you were entirely invisible from the feed, your face. Right. It was all about the pastry. If we could go back to the very first cake that you posted and the very first message that you posted, what had happened right before that made you think, I've got to talk about this now? What happened is I had a little notebook where I wrote down ideas. Like I had several ideas before I made any of the cakes. And in the beginning, they were very focused on feminism, don't call me honey, that mm. kind of thing. And then it expanded as I got more confident and what I was doing, I was able to put my face to it. And it took a while. It, it did take a while because it is scary to be on a large platform in the internet. That's something that I've had to come up with strategies to work through. But when I really started taking ownership of the account as me, it was when I started talking about abortion rights, because that's something that is very close to my heart. And I talk a lot about how I've had an abortion and how that catalyzed me into this abortion rights space. And that sort of happened at the same time, me becoming more visible and starting to focus in on the abortion rights movement. You're sharing your story out there. And the response was maybe different than you thought. Is this when you decided to reveal your face, as sure. it were? You decided to put a face to the story. And then what happened? Because you're in the feed quite a bit now. So important to humanize your content. It's more impactful, more powerful if you are visible in your work. I try to show up as authentically and genuinely as I can. Were you surprised at the growth? that you had? I am. <laughs> I'm still not sure how that happened. I am not a social media professional. I don't know exactly, but I, sometimes it's easier for people to approach these kind of topics with content that feels more approachable, which would be baked goods. Sometimes people are more, more ready <laughs> to approach the topic if it's a cake, which is funny, but I am limited by what I can put on the cake. Obviously, the paired, the captions are also very important. There were things that you did to overcome becoming the face. Sure. And so what were some of those things? So I started small. It's not like I just showed up one day and <laughs> I was like, I'm here. This is me. It took a while to build that sort of confidence to, to put myself in the front. But I started from describing my own experience 
of having an abortion and what that was like, and then trying to apply it to these issues that show up in the abortion rights space. Your fans are super supportive. Did you get haters, negative feedback? How did you deal with that? In the beginning, I got a lot of misogynistic commenting messages, death threats, that kind of thing. And I've now set up filters. So there's a lot less of that now. And I also I don't read all my messages anymore. But there are better filters for that. But kind you of kept stuff going. Now. How do you keep going? Oh, for every, you know, for every negative thing like that, there's so many people that are there to share information and learn new things and connect with people. And I have a really incredible community as part of the Sweet Feminist. And I really appreciate that. And I would say that sort of kept me going. You were talking about with the chocolate factory, the difference between the spicy and the sweet or Mm -hmm. the sort of the interplay. And there is something about being a sweet feminist because many people don't think that the word feminist is at all sweet. There is a tension there for some people. There is not a tension for me. I I don't identify as a sweet person. The sweet <laughs> is very much refers to the baked goods. As a feminist, I am unyielding. So the sweet definitely applies to the baked goods. I always think that feminist has the root word feminine, sure. which is where its power comes from. They're interchangeable for me. So I never had a problem with the word, but I'm always surprised still by the response some people give. You'd say, I've never shied away from adorning my baked goods with my opinions, including my belief that all feelings are valid and deserve to be fully experienced. What has led into my most recent project, which is a cookbook called Baking by Feel. It's for Harper Wave and it's coming out this October. People use baking as a way to process emotions. Like they've always done this. It's something that's been very clear during the COVID pandemic. She caking, um, <laughs> I am in it and also during the election previously. Yeah. Yeah, so people use these sort of tactile hobbies as a way to process their emotions. And so what I'm doing with this book is just giving people a structure, a format to do that. So it's a choose your own adventure cookbook where every recipe has um, a paired feeling with it. So in the beginning of the book, there's this little workbook that guides you through, okay, how do I identify what I'm feeling? Is it a mix of things? What is at the front? And then You look through the cookbook for that particular emotion, and then you bake whatever recipe goes along with that emotion as just to To process process it. So happy, sad, mad, anxious, and hopeful. Yeah, so those are the five flavors or five (laughs) categories, and within that, there are different flavors of that emotion. So just 65 different variations of those five. And are you doing your own test kitchen? How do you come up with your recipes? I tested them all in my kitchen. We did the photographs in my house. It's all very, very much happened in my home. And I'm I'm a self-taught baker. I have always baked at home. That guides the book as well. I want it to be accessible to people who bake a lot, people who don't bake but are looking for a hobby. It's all grounded in very tactile stuff. I want you to know what it smells like, what it should feel like between your fingers by taste, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. What's your favorite recipe in your book? My favorite recipe is these chewy maple cookies. I love maple as a flavor, but these are like thick cookies. They've got like a sugar crunch on the outside, but then there's also a little bit of cayenne in it. So like you get the like sweet maple taste and then at the end it's just like a little bit of heat from the cayenne. It's not (laughs) spicy. It's just warming Mm -hmm. in your mouth. So I would say those are my favorite. 
I want to bake these cookies. Yeah. So we're refocusing on the actual here and now tactile thing that's going on in your mouth. We talk a lot of leadership on this podcast. And Mm -hmm. so for decades, women have been told they should stay in the kitchen. And yet here, the kitchen has become a feminist weapon. Right. (laughs) And you've actually turned it into a brand and Mm -hmm. a business. And so can you speak to your idea of what it means to lead as a woman? And do you think women lead differently? Cooking and baking has always been a part of movements. Like women baked together as points of community and they were the people that were feeding activists and people in these movements. Like that has always been a crucial component, which is really inspiring to me. We want to think of the contribution of cooking and baking as something where people were just in their house, but actually it was a site of community and a powerful one. Many of the women that I admire lead from a place of conviction in their strengths and knowledge and abilities, as well as a commitment to community building and this sort of genuine care and respect for people around them and to those they're fighting for or supporting. And so an example of that that I really admire is my friend Renee Bracey Sherman's leadership in the abortion rights movement, just because she's completely unwavering in her vision and her resolve, but also that she's really focused on uplifting and amplifying the stories of people who have abortions who should be at the center of the movement. We call it feminine leadership here. I'm actually, I'm an unabashed supporter of feminine leadership because I believe femininity is super powerful, not the way it's been peddled to us. Sure. How do you feel about that? Yeah. So I'd never heard that term before. So I'd love if you'd tell me about it because this is a new term to me. Yeah. It's just the idea that there are feminine and masculine traits and there are things that come with femininity, not from the stereotypical point of view, but from the communication standpoint, from the community standpoint, from the care element, things that are of the mama bear as the quintessential femininity to me or mother nature. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful and abundant and fecund, but also will rip you a new one if we need to, because- That's the nature of, there's a Shakti element, a real destruction element in there too that is important because that's the nature of femininity. Femininity is is so powerful. Give it as the antithesis of the patriarchy. And we have such a patriarchal structure, such a masculine structure that it is what is, in my mind, the opposite. That makes sense. And I think that is pretty similar to what I was describing um, and how I think women lead. So do you think of yourself as a movement maker? I see myself as definitely part of this movement. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm not concerned about the hierarchy of it. It's so important to take leadership cues from the people in this movement that are most impacted by things like abortion bans. And so that's what I try to do. The people that are most impacted would be Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, lower income people who live in rural areas, people with disabilities, immigrants, and the fight for reproductive justice and rights is so connected to other movements, like those for racial justice and economic justice. And so, yes, I try to learn as much as I can from the people at the center of the movement. Now, here you are at the center and learning from these people, but how did you become schooled in the conversations that feminists were having? You talk about, again, dismantling white feminism. So what does that mean to you? I'm always curious because I, when I look, I know who I was as a little girl, but I see you've posted some pictures of yourself as a little girl sure. and it's sweet and 
blonde and a little <laughs> like a little cake with you. And, but there's something obviously brewing in there. So how old are you when you're starting to be to yeah. take on these at uh, this understanding? I grew up in what I would call a feminist household. I was raised by a single mom. And she she got her PhD in her 40s and she owns her own company and she has just always embodied leadership and strength and resolve to me. So I had an excellent model there. And then I just, I went to Grinnell College and I really appreciate the kind of education that I got there. It's a small liberal arts college in Iowa. And then being in DC was a great opportunity to learn from people because there's so many movement leaders, there's marches and all kinds of things you can get involved in being in that space. Do you think of yourself more, because this is a conversation that you're having a lot right now, but before it was broad strokes, is this where you've really honed in now? Yes. Is this where it's, yes. Yes. The abortion rights space is what I've decided to focus on because that's where I can make the most impact. And specifically, I'm focused on getting rid of the shame and stigma around abortion care and people who have abortions. And I'm really committed to being in that space. And I call myself pro-abortion. And what that means is I'm fighting for a future where everyone can have access to the abortion care that they need without barriers, shame, or stigma. And I do also think it's important to emphasize that this issue doesn't just impact women, it also impacts trans men and non-binary people. And so it's essential that we include them here as well. DNC is an abortion. Like a lot of women yes. have that routine post-reproductive right. procedure done. And that is people forget we have what we think abortion means and then what it actually can be as well. This notion of men stepping the fuck up, like being allies yes. and in support of the women who they care for so that they have personal autonomy over their own bodies. I, I saw yep. a lot of threads on Twitter and people breaking up and fighting and all kinds of things over this particular issue because women are finding out what the men in their lives really think. Right. And it's complicated. And with the recent fall of Roe versus Wade, a lot more people are becoming more actively involved in this movement, which is really incredible. And it's so important to keep that energy for abortion rights up. So I always tell people it's so important to talk to your friends, talk to your family about abortion in a way that's not stigmatizing and showing just unconditional support for people who have abortions. How can women get involved in the movement to fight for their reproductive rights? One of the most important ways is to focus on eliminating shame and stigma. So that starts by using affirming and non-stigmatizing language when we talk about abortion and people who have abortion. So instead of saying things like no one likes abortion or abortion is always a really tough decision, there are some reasons for getting an abortion that are better than other reasons. You could say something like, I support and respect people who have abortions without any caveats. I respect people's right to determine what happens to their body and I don't need to know the reason. And I know that people should be able to access the abortion care they need at any time and for any reason. And so like these are small linguistic changes, but they have huge cultural impacts if we start shifting the language. Another thing right now is that it's so important that we're sharing accurate and up-to-date information. So that means right now, instead of sharing coat hanger imagery, we should be sharing information about the safety and effectiveness of the abortion pills, mifepristone and misoprostol, because we know that these pills are medically safe. 
for people who are pregnant and don't want to be. And they can either be taken at home or in a clinical setting. And I do want to say that there's a risk of criminalization, particularly for people who live in places like Texas and where I live, that is actively trying to criminalize people for pregnancy outcomes. A good resource for general information about abortion pills is abortiononourownterms.org. And that's a really good compilation of education, access, and community support as well. What is your wish for every other woman? Is to live a beautiful life that they're able to fully determine, one where their dreams become reality that's full of support, respect, and sweetness. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Thank you.